and welcome to episode 10, that's an achievement unlock sound right here, of the Cincy Postcast. We've got a great show for you. It's number 10. I mean, this is like an anniversary in a way. Uh, and of course, it's a three-parter. In part one, we'll talk about how the FC made LA's FC sweat in the Midwest. We'll dismiss a goalkeeping competition, and we'll try to find some positives down there at the bottom of the table. Part two, ladies and gentlemen, we got him. Mitch Hildebrandt joins the postcast. He's going to talk about his time before, with, and after the FC Cincinnati. What was GB like as a teammate? I am very curious. And in part three, we'll wrap it up by uh, judging people on uh, how they've decided to be a fan. We'll look at Albright's shopping list and whether or not he's moving through it expediently. And uh, maybe debate meeting Obi at the airport. So that'll be your uh, postcast, episode 10, right now. And joining me, as always, to discuss this, I'd like to say the Post's contributors, but uh, boys, it's been a while since we've published an article. Uh, this, is, <laughs> this is a podcast-only outlet these days. I think um, I'm in timeout. Starting us off, we've got the Chief Warpig himself. Chief, how, how we feeling after that Sunday night game? Uh, I got criticized for uh, Grayson was dredging up some old tweets in the chat where... <laughs> I may have also used the progress line during the Yop Stom regime at the early days after the MLS's back tournament. So <laughs> it might be a time to retire saying I see progress, but I see progress. And that's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say what I believe. So that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. Old, old Joseph Mamey hit me with my own sarcastic tweets during that time period as well. So <laughs> I, I feel you there. And uh, Grayson, the man holding all the receipts, how are we feeling tonight? <laughs> Uh, feeling, uh, not great feeling, you know, giving up two goals in the second half is kind of like taking a boot to the face. The ref doesn't call. Oh, <laughs> God, that is too is true. It, is it possible to have a high boot on a man that's five foot tall? <laughs> Did that factor in? It had to have. <laughs> It's a medium boot when it's up to Lucho Acosta's face, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, I will say the uh, the high boot is something that uh, I uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. I genuinely thought was a youth soccer rule only. Um, I did not. I I never. I don't think I've ever seen it called in a professional game before. Um, not that I would have been opposed to it then, but uh, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever seen it called before. Yeah, but I've also, I don't think I've ever, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen it where it looks like uh, a WWE finishing move happening live on the pitch, though, where it's you know, <laughs> it's Sheamus giving the brogue kick to someone live in person. So if there was if there was ever a time to break the call out, that seemed to be the case right there. Ah, <laughs> oh, it it really did. No, it was. I mean, it was a fun game. It was a good game. It was a nationally televised game as much as. Uh, I don't know, all 75,000 people that watched it on Fox Sports 1 or whatever those final numbers will end up being, quote-unquote, national. But um, no, I'll say in general, I thought this game was going to be a bloodbath. I think most people thought it was going to be a bloodbath, that this was was set up to be 4-1, you know, optimistically. Um, And then you find out the starting goalkeeper's missing, like right before the game. You're like, well, shit. 
At least we'll have fun, right? At least the Bailey will sing a couple of songs before this starts before this starts raining on us. Uh, Goals-wise, that was. The weather was perfect. Um, and it wasn't that. Uh, I don't know. Grayson, were you impressed with the the team out there? Or, or does the loss overshadow any sort of moral victory you'd be looking for? Well, um, on the one hand, it's a, it's a lot of what we've already seen this season. We give up... Um, more, more of the possession, still generate plenty of shots and chances, don't really finish them, and just come back feeling like, oh, yeah, we, we did a great effort, and we got, you know, as you put on, I, I think on Twitter, out-talented. Yes. <laughs> um, now, uh, <coughs> now um, I, I know I, I, I kind of poured water on, on Chief's progress tweet. But I will say that this is like the mirror image of this time last season or a couple a couple months into last season where um, the team put together a few results, you know, a couple of wins and a couple of draws. And you're thinking, well, you're, you'll be tempted to think, okay, we've got some progress. But at that point in time last season, the teams we were playing – were not at full strength, as you'll recall. And yes. we had everybody, right? And now we're kind of the opposite of that, where we are fairly depleted, waiting on reinforcements. The guys we have are not all healthy, and we're still hanging in there and being competitive against, you know, the best team in MLS right now. And, yeah. and here's the, 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 the whole thing with why I see progress on this, is that there's, there's two facets to that. The first is the eyeball test, and I understand everyone's going to have a different eyeball test than, than I will or that Grayson will or that you will, Kevin. But you watch this team, and they create chances. And during the good runs of play we've had in the past, they didn't create a lot of scoring opportunities. Um, the time that my old takes exposed happened that Grayson pulled out on the group chat, we had just had two scoreless draws, two nil-nil draws. And... Yeah, that felt like progress that we weren't losing games then, but we also weren't doing anything that seemed sustainable. Um, with this team right now, a lot of what they're doing, especially going forward, feels sustainable because it has been sustained over a long run of games. So that's, that's the eyeball test. I mean, the other one is that you can put what you will into advanced metrics for these games, but if you look at the XG after each one of these games, we rarely get blown out on xg and in fact we win a lot of games based on xg I, I pulled up this uh the lafc match and we lost the xg but only 1.29 to 1.59 um we're, we're not getting grossly outplayed to the point where it's a lot of bailout defending that protects the game keeps it close or keeps a clean sheet we're we're, we're not you know missing our one or two chances going forward we had, we had chances in this game too going forward um they looked threatening for long stretches of the match. So, yeah. Do I see progress? I mean, th at some point you got to win some fucking games. I mean, that's that's the bottom line here is that at some point Noonan needs to start winning some of these games as opposed to coming real close, but I I I think that the stats and just watching this team tells a really different story than say that run of games last year where I think we beat Montreal and we beat um Toronto maybe or somebody else down in Florida and then we beat Chicago up here and I, I just think the team looks different now than it did 
that time we were all saying the same shit last year. It it it, it feels different this go around. Yeah, on XG, um, according to FB Ref, FC's won four games on XG. Um, lost two within 0.5 and then been kind of blown out in two others. But one of the ones that they were kind of blown out was uh, the Atlanta United game. They pulled out a draw. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, chief, to your point, you know, I was thinking back to this, uh, this game last year, uh, New York city FC, where we were down Lucho and, I think it was in warmups. Teton pulled something, and Cody Cropper had to step up. That was a a you know a key piece in the midfield and your starting goalkeeper. But they replaced him with Cody Cropper, a guy who has he came up in a Premier League academy, has tons of senior team experience all over the world up to that point. And Acosta was a fairly recent addition to the team, and that team got destroyed absolutely rocked by New York City with old Pep Guardiola watching in attendance. And I think back to this game with a makeshift back line and a college rookie starting at goalkeeper (laughs) who had only made one other appearance for the club, which was Tuesday earlier against a USL team. And yes, he looked good. Um, but he doesn't have he, he certainly doesn't have the miles on him that Cody Cropper had or a Kenneth Vermeer has and the team still played their gameplay their style and it worked and that's what gives me confidence when Stom and Koch did not have their first choice 11 as in when they couldn't rely on the individual talents of individual players to bail them out the entire thing fell apart under Noonan, with the team that Albright has partially helped assemble now, um, the team is able to survive large missing pieces. Moderita is a key piece on this team. Brandon Vasquez is now a key piece on this team, and they didn't miss a beat. So the other thing, too, that, that's noticeable that, that I've noticed about this team so far is that for the first time since this team was brought into MLS – it looks like and it feels like the people that are asked to step up that are reserves play well. I think that the yes. only time so far this year that you can say conclusively that we asked someone to, to, to step up, fill in, and it was a disaster was the first Ian Murphy game. And Noonan got him out at the half. But since that game, Ian Murphy has looked okay. He's not going to set the world on fire. He's not going to be a guy where you're penciling him in as a starter anytime soon, but he's looked mostly fine. Uh, when they've had to dip down into the bench for into the midfield, the people they brought on have, have been fine. Um, Roman yesterday fills in, does a fine job. Uh, they had Baji playing on the back line a week or two ago. He did fine. And when you look at the people that, that Albright has brought in on this team, it, it's hard to say he's whiffed on anyone, uh, since he took over. The draft picks have looked mostly good. Roman looks good. I think Markanic has looked really good in the times we've seen him playing for on the MLS team. Uh, Murphy has looked good. The signings have looked, you know, average to above average. There's no one there. There's no Makocho. There's no... Um, uh, Sem DeYoung. Sem DeYoung. <laughs> there's no Kenneth Vermeer. 
there's no guys that he's brought in where it's like, who in God's name got conned into signing this contract? And yep. that matters in this league. When you have a salary cap, you've got to be able to hit on the back end of your roster where you can get quality minutes. And that was that was so fucking frustrating about this team over the last couple of years is that you'd watch like Seattle or you'd watch you know well-run teams and they would find talent at USL levels who could come up and give them quality minutes and they identified these guys and the guys we brought in were bums. They were just bums. And what's very interesting too is that you're seeing a lot of those guys that um, Nykamp brought in, when the team is looking for reserve minutes right now, they're not turning to Nykamp guys. When they need reserve minutes, they're not turning to Barial. They're not turning to Atanga. They're, they're turning to the guys that, that Albright has brought in that fit his vision, that fit his play style. And for the most part, it's working. This team has no business being down their top choice striker, leading goal scorer, their best defender, and still putting out uh, performances like they're putting out right now. Like in past years, as you said, Kep, this would have derailed the team for weeks on end to yep. miss guys like this. Yeah, and I so Albright signings though have all been pretty safe signings. I would call them like high floor, low ceiling signings until right. uh, until Wobodo, and that's perfectly fine. You need to yep. be able to you need to be able to make those signings in MLS. Um, you know, guys like, like Baji, you know what you're going to get with Baji, right? You know what you're going to, they knew very well what they were going to get with Alvis Powell. They knew what they were going to get with Junior Moreno. Um, the one maybe reach signing, but was still low risk due to, I assume his contract is like Johnny Nelson, who, um, was coming off the injury. Didn't really pan out at Dallas as, as a generation Adidas player. Obviously they didn't renew his option, um, when his guaranteed term went up, but uh, you know, on a supplemental spot, the guy goes in and pretty fairly well uh, locks up Carlos Vela. You know, he didn't really get turned around that game. He kept guys in front of him. Uh, he wasn't giving like those Jordi Mihaljevic uh, wide open <laughs> looks in the box. Uh, so that was good. <laughs> so you know, I was that's a guy as another guy that I would say I was pretty pleased with his performance. And, and But you look at how far this team has come in terms of roster construction and philosophy to this time a year ago, we had Franco Kovacic taking up an international spot, sitting the bench, and not playing. Yep. That was the problem with this team is the, the players they would bring in would be they would be foreign and they'd be ineffective. And it's not to get xenophobic on this, but if you're going to succeed in this league – you can't be giving resources away to buy international spots, to buy international players, and for them not to pan out. And and to your point, Grayson, yeah, it's a wonderful change of pace that we're buying high high floor guys. And the nice thing about it too is that we're 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 properly paying for these high floor, low ceiling players. We're we're bringing them in under reasonable contract terms. We're not giving up large amounts of tricky don fun bucks to buy them. We're not paying for international spots to roster them. And we have that roster flexibility to go get a Woboto, to go shopping, I think, to probably get at least another high XM player that he can bring in. So what I like about the roster construction and what's kind of bearing fruit on the field, as far as I can see, is that they've stabilized the team a little bit. 
to where you're not getting this mercurial up and down. You never have any idea what you're going to get from the team because the talent is inconsistent and there's a huge drop-off between guy number 10 and guy number 11 on the roster. And now you are adding a guy who can be hopefully a game-changer in Wobodo. And you have the freedom to add another game-changer later in the season, uh, hopefully when the next window opens or before this one closes. So I, I, I it's just I, I'm struck by how much better this team is getting quickly at identifying value in players, signing players to value contracts, and then getting that value out of them that they expected when they signed them. And that's there's a boringness to that, but after the fucking excitement of being terrible and getting dunked on for <laughs> five goal performances against New York, I'll I'll take a little boring in that regard. Again, just to reemphasize what gives me hope is that this team is succeeding with its back bench here and it looks consistent. It looks like they have a game plan that is being distilled and it allows these other players to step up into the system or at least have some game plan, some understanding as to what they're walking into and it allows them to be successful. That hasn't happened since we got Newton and Albright in here. Now, having said all of this though, I, I, I do think they have to start winning some games and they have yes. to start. I think, uh, might have been Jonah on KLR this week, said it would be nice if for a change that last goal that changes the result in the contest was scored by FC Cincinnati. If they got the late goal they were pushing for, if yes. they got the back-breaking score for the opposition that sent everyone home happy. Um, and I, I do think that it's important to point out that for all the happy feelings that we have and for all the progress we've seen, we're back in last place today. <laughs> yes. Now it's, it's last been a place more in the east. Last place in the only east. in the east. Only in the east. Only in the, the east. east. The eastern spoon belongs to us. Um, <laughs> stick that in your borscht. Um, but at some point, the results have to change, and at some point, th there needs to be a couple of wins strung together. We had that earlier this year, but it can't just be a thing where it's like all oh, the progress is coming. Progress is coming. And there's sort of another checkpoint here with Wobodo uh, coming into Cincinnati. He's he's going to be here when this podcast release. He will have been on the ground in Cincinnati for several days. And that has to mean something. Uh, this team has to look better with Wobodo playing. This team has to score more goals with Wobodo playing. It's got to keep some more clean sheets with Wobodo playing. Progress can't be stagnant. When you bring in a big dollar signing, that has to step you up a level in what you're doing. Because now all of a sudden, if we said he's playing with one, with his hands tied behind his back, hands just got a little freer when his first yep. choice or his choice for a DP is now on the field. So I don't know what your guys' take is, but if the results don't also follow the progress, you do run the risk of the locker room souring, things just getting into a spiral you can't recover from. At some point, it's got to mean something on the field. It's got to produce some results sometime. Yeah, they do, they, need to, they do need to win games. But just looking at this, looking back to this one game, um, you know, we talked about the XG earlier, and I just looked up another, another tidbit, I guess. Um, it looks like that was about as tough as anybody played LAFC on a XG level all season. Um, 
that's the, that's the most XG that um, LAFC has given up, so to speak, on the season. And only two teams have held LAFC to a lower uh, XG for the, for their side. And that's, that's on the FB ref numbers, the 1.7 for LAFC and 1.2 for us. Um, so I guess I would go back to, yes, we do need to see wins and I want, and we need to see wins, you know, fairly imminently, but we are still in the point of the season where I think we said in the previous pod, the results don't really matter yet for playoff contention. So I'm okay resting on the underlying numbers at this moment. Yeah. Um, just to uh, emphasize that point, uh, FC Cincinnati at a time of recording is on seven points. Ten points get you a playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. Other teams on seven points include New England Revolution and the Seattle Sounders, the quote-unquote best team in MLS, Seattle Sounders, CONCACAF Champions League finalists, a team that everybody would like to emulate, dead even points-wise. There are three teams behind us, including Sporting Kansas City, a team a lot of people predicted would do much, much better this year. Uh, I mean, it's a weirder year this year. Um, there's not as much crossover play, but there's some. So there are uh, what Andrew Wiebe was getting roasted on Twitter for this weekend, bonus games, a handful of games against <laughs> Western Conference opponents where you can pick up phantom points that otherwise wouldn't be present in your, uh, in your table. Um, and yeah, you just think about if that DC United match had gone one goal the other way, I mean, this team would be right on the cusp of, of making the playoffs, and it's a totally different narrative. Um, to, to Grayson's point, he, he hammered home a couple of podcasts ago. Uh, process, process over results, man. It's it's happening. It's it's keep on keeping on. The the shots will land. The uh, the players will will figure it out, and eventually, more talent will show up. Um, I don't know. Gentlemen, do we have anything else for uh, for part one? Is there anything else we want to <coughs> hit on? It's <laughs> a healthy sounding cough right there. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was a dust mite cough, not a not a virus cough, at least not a viral so. cough. <laughs> um, it, it's it was it was good in the stadium yesterday to see the crowd behind the team. Yes. And there it does feel like there's been a, a, a change in the overall pessimistic attitude and I, I do I hope that continues because I, I think Noonan and the team are worth it and just watching yesterday just what are those bullshit fan observations that you get every so often this team they play for one another I know that's cliche but at the end of the game they got Lucho down in a heap after what some are calling a red card uh, dive uh, towards a uh, another player but he gets taunted by the LAFC keeper. He's down shouting at him like he's, you know, posing for a uh, – for a. oh, fuck. <laughs> Man, I just lost the reference. Great. Um, Muhammad Ali oh. picture, famous one, flexing on him. There we go. There, there we, we go. Yes. And a fist fight almost breaks out. Everyone has to be separated from one another. I like that kind of fight in a team. I like a team that's willing to fight 
for their teammate, even though he may have caused the problem that starts the fight. I like that. And uh, it seems like they're into it. It seems like they're... It does, seem, it does seem like a different team in terms of the energy around the team, the energy they're bringing to the stadium. And I hope the fans stay behind that because I think that there's good things in the future for this team. I really do. Yeah, I completely co-sign that. Um, it, uh, I don't know. The, <laughs> talking to people who don't follow the team closely, don't quite get that impression. Oh, they're still losing. Well, no, 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 it's not that bad. Yeah. But um, but no, I think the people in the stands are at least getting a more entertaining product. You think that the team can win the whole game, and that has not always been the case uh, in MLS with this with this Orange and Blue side. So um, and I, and I also yeah. want to point out that if you're a FC Cincinnati fan and you don't love Lucho Acosta, uh, turn the podcast off. Legit, Lucho's Lucho's our guy. That dude, he is a son of a bitch. He's an asshole on the field. But he's also a wholesome family man, brings the kids to the stadium, gives it all for the city, gives it all for the team, gives it all for the badge, makes some questionable decisions on the field, yeah. But if you don't like that attitude and you don't like that energy, I don't understand why you follow this sport. Um, I'm a Diego Costa guy. I'm a Chelsea fan. I like that <laughs> little – that a player that rides the line between asshole and hero. That's Lucho. And God damn it, this city needs to embrace and fall in love with this guy because – Lucho is the man. All five foot nothing of him. Yeah, if you don't like Lucho, give up your give up your tickets, man. Like, stop coming to the games. Delete your Twitter account. Uh, burn all your wristbands. You know, just I, I don't I don't want to hear I don't want to hear any Lucho hate from no, this is, from this anybody we, who styles themselves we, as a member of the FC Cincinnati fan community. This is where we yes. tell you how to be a fan. We're telling yes. you how to be a fan right now. Lucho Acosta should be one of your favorite players because that man pisses the shit out of every other fan base in MLS that plays us. And you should love a player that creates that much hate on the field, on Twitter, in the opposing fan section, in the stands. That's our guy. Lucho Acosta is our asshole. Get in line behind him because when this team gets good... He is going to be an insufferable prick to every single other team we play, and it's going to be fucking glorious. I'm here for it. Preach. Yeah, if you don't like him, you must be a crew fan. Yes. <laughs> he's he's a better but shorter Manu Ledesma. And if you can't see that, you're you're only fooling yourself. <laughs> now, if we put that in our uh, in the tweet thing, Manu will retweet this, so we should probably say that when we tweet the episode out. Use that, include that well, as a quote. One hundred percent. There's, there's a non-zero percent chance that Acosta has to do a uh, a rehab stint with FCC two that has signed a Manu Ledesma later on this year, and that's going to be a must-watch. Absolutely buy that ticket. The uh, the Acosta Ledesma game. It's going to happen. <laughs> Might have to make shirts for that Acosta Ledesma. <laughs> On a Saturday afternoon on YouTube. God bless Jamie Vardy's Rochester team that has to go <laughs> up against that. Wasn't oh. there supposed to be a reality show with that team? Wasn't that like there's something going on that Jamie was doing some tryouts or some shit like that? It seemed like a multi-level marketing scam when they announced that. That's a wild they, tangent uh, to take at the end of the segment, but... The the production team took one look at that font and said, ah, nah, we can't put this on television. Not at all. MLS Next Pro. <laughs> 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 oh, 
Uh, R.I.P. to the Rhinos, man. If everyone that says we should have stayed in USL, that's a fucking cautionary tale. That absolutely is. <laughs> oh well. Speaking of lower division soccer, we've got him. We've got Mitch Hildebrand, baby. He uh, agreed to come on to the postcast. He uh, is going to talk about his time with FC Cincinnati. We'll see if we can't coax a couple of war stories out of him. And uh, all around, this is just somebody that we've had our eye on in terms of you know doing a podcast, using it as an excuse to talk to interesting people in and around the uh, FC Cincinnati world. And, I mean... Mitch is uh, on that short list of people you'd build a statue for in FCC world. So uh, really, really excited uh, for this conversation. Hope you enjoy it. And uh, we'll pick up whatever we didn't touch on in part three. Awesome. Here we are. Part two of the postcast episode 10 and Ladies and gentlemen, I I mean, come on. Does he need an introduction? What am I doing here? This is Mitch Hildebrandt. Uh, top five FC Cincinnati players all time. Top three, easily. I said earlier in this episode, uh, the short list for people who'd get a statue built outside of TQL Stadium. Uh, Mitch, thank you so much for coming on the postcast. No, I appreciate you guys having me. Thanks. I'm I'm really looking forward to this one. So it's gonna be fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we we were just talking about this. You know, we honestly, I, and I'll speak for myself uh, specifically here, a little starstruck, man. Like as we were becoming fans of FC Cincinnati, like you were the guy. Obviously, you had the chant and the T-shirts and everything else, but. Um, no, I think your your time with FC Cincinnati uh, were the good old days, were the highlights of this team. And yes, the team has joined MLS and is doing everything else. But man, I will tell you, in the Bailey, in the stands, we're still reliving those glory days. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if you feel it. I just want to make sure I get that out into the universe for you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, no, that was... Uh... Definitely, uh, definitely fun times for sure. <laughs> yeah, we were we were talking before you uh, you joined on that uh, for me and for a lot of people, if you were asked to do one, what is it that sums FC Cincinnati up as a, as a memory, as a moment, as a if you were to be sent to a piece of paper, draw FC Cincinnati, it's you standing in front of the Bailey at Nippert Stadium leading the clap. So. It, it is an iconic moment, and I was the one that told Kevin, I was like, yeah, I don't get starstruck easily. Dan McNally, I've met Dan a bunch of times. Mike Watts, he calls games on ESPN. Now, nah, Mitch, though, that's a, that's a get for episode 10 of a podcast. So thank you very much for joining us today. <laughs> I appreciate it. I really do, guys, and and trust me, I, I – uh... I, I I honestly love talking with just the people of Cincinnati and you guys made my wife and our time there that much special. So, um, honestly, it's, it's just as much fun for me for sure. Oh man. I, Speaking of being in Cincinnati, and if you're not allowed to talk about this, this is top secret mission, by all means, cut me off. Saw you on Twitter the other day posting a photo of the Queen City. Am I yeah. allowed to ask you what, what you might have been doing back town? Uh, yeah, man. So, um, I, uh, I coach for the Michigan Wolves now and, and obviously FC Cincinnati is in our, uh, in our bracket. So, mm. um, but I mean, I was down there. So 
right now I'm coaching our ECNL teams, which is kind of our, our second teams. I mean, we were down there playing um, Louisville, and then we were on our way back up to play Ohio Elite, which is right there in Cincinnati as well. So um, next year I'll be with the, the MLS teams in our club. So I will be playing FC Cincinnati, which next year will be a, a little bittersweet for me. Um, so that'll be fun. <laughs> Oh, but at least you get to beat up on Louisville for old time's sake. You know, that's going to feel good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, I hadn't had the best of records as a player and a coach against Louisville. So, um, you know, where it wasn't that great of a time going back there with Kansas City either. But, um, yeah, I guess I just – I'm not like every other old FC Cincinnati player. I don't like Louisville. So, um, I think like everybody but me is just – trying to get down there and I'm the only one that really doesn't want to go there. And yeah. at a certain level, do you feel a little bit of resentment that it's like, wait, they signed every former FC Cincinnati player. Why was my phone not ringing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, 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 uh, yeah, it's, uh, it was kind of weird when I just see everybody going down there and, um, I don't know. I, I, I had a good, good year in Atlanta. So I'll, uh, I'll be okay with where where my path. <laughs> no, I, I was just gonna say, yeah, those guys are uh, still assholes and still really good, uh, which is super annoying. <laughs> yeah, we were not looking yeah. forward to possibly drawing them in the Open Cup. That was not. I was not looking forward to that. <laughs> that would have been. Uh, I think that would have been probably outside of when we drew Columbus um, when we were you know, playing, I think that would be their, their big draw. Right. I mean, oh, yeah. it's kind yeah. of a, a rivalry game. Plus it's, you know, I think the MLS and, and all that, it, it would have made for a, a Taylor Twelman comeback in, in Cincinnati. Wouldn't it? <laughs> that that yes. game would have brought him back. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> As if Taylor Twelman doesn't need another reason to be mean to Cincinnati on national television. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I, uh, I like Taylor, so I'm a, I'm a fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> no, for sure. I I mean, I, I'm interested in this. I mean, I'm I, I was a fan of this team. I imagine anybody listening to this podcast uh, was probably a fan of the team when you were here. So I'm I'm really curious about this. What was the sales pitch from? I'm a guessing John Harks to get you to Cincinnati from, I mean, you're coming from Minnesota United, which was a, a very established team in the NASL. How, how did that transition happen? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's kind of funny because there was no sales pitch needed. Um, <laughs> honestly, you're, you're talking about, well, why wasn't my phone ringing from Louisville? Um, I was praying when I left uh, Minnesota that my phone would ring. And so when it did, and it was John, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a no-brainer, and, um, you know, obviously John being John um, heard a lot of great things about Ryan, um, and so it was an absolute no-brainer. I knew knew Kenny. We used to play uh, – you know, we grew up playing together in youth soccer mm. and um, didn't really know Austin that much, but I knew of him. Um, I knew Corbin. So, I mean, just kind of the guys that um, I knew that – one, it was going to be special just to start something. Um, two, I think it was going to be really fun just knowing the guys that they were signing, whether we were good or not. I mean, I got along with all of them. Um, and honestly, like, 
I played 12 games in four years for Minnesota. So I think it was just nice to somebody want me to be there for once. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure. I, I can't imagine that, that cutthroat world of, of sort of lower division soccer. And, and you see guys, sometimes they latch on somewhere and sometimes they're bouncing around. And uh, yeah, I have to imagine uh U.S. men's national team coach for life, John Harks, gives you a call. <laughs> you probably jump at that chance. Yeah, I wasn't really jumping. It was 3 o'clock in the morning, so <laughs> I was more lay, laying down when when it happened. But um, Was there yeah, some small was, part of you that was like, I really, really hope John meant this phone call and this wasn't something that happened at the bar in the middle of the night? <laughs> oh, night. So it was funny because I, I woke up and I, I just – never answer my uh, never who answers their phone at two or three in the morning. I just so happen to answer my phone because, you know, I was out of contract and every time my phone rang, you just kind of hope that. And so I answer my phone um, and he goes, Hey, Mitch, John Harks. <laughs> and I go, come on, who is this? And he goes, no, Mitch, John Harks. And I go, John, it's, if this is you, dude, it's three o'clock in the morning. And he goes, yeah, I just got off a flight or I just got off a flight driving back home, came from Europe, um, just figured I'd give you a call. I was like, okay, let's have <laughs> sure, why not? Um, and and I, I swear that that's how it happened. And I called my wife who was actually, she was a coach at App State at the time and they were on the road and I call her and she, she woke up like, what's going on? Like, what, why are you calling me this early? And I go, you won't believe who just called me. And I go, John Harks. And she goes, is that supposed to mean anything to me? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, she's a volleyball player, so she didn't know. But um, it was just funny. And and you guys say starstruck. I was starstruck, you know, talking to John Harks. I grew up watching this dude, you know. And uh, he offered me a chance to come and play and start a club with him. And, I mean, I was all in, man. I Yeah, where do I sign? Right. So the so you come to Cincinnati and other than as a different sort of experience in teams you've been on in the past where you're being asked to be the starter the 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 builder of this team one of the first signings that comes in what was it like being part of that initial class and sort of not having any organizational structure everything's being invented on the fly how was that in terms of basically inventing all the policies procedures everything as you guys went along yeah, I mean, I think it was fun. Um, and, you know, I think what makes John such a great coach is that he knows how to treat players. Um, you know, I think he's the epitome of, of a man manager. He's, you know, a Sir Alex Ferguson type where, yeah, playing a certain brand of soccer is, is important, but it's more about letting the guys go and be themselves and enjoy themselves. And that's the type of players that they brought in. And um, that's why we played well and we just all enjoyed playing together. He gave us the freedom to do what we wanted. And, um, and the locker room was probably one of the most laid back chill locker rooms, um, that got along with each other that, that I had been a part of. Um, and so it was just kind of easy to, um, I mean, you had a great blend of guys like me who were just happy to finally get a chance and um you know other guys that had just gotten released with from mls teams that you know had to show really show that they should be there and then you had um austin and, and kenny who kind of been through it and been those players and um were just kind of rejuvenating everything so 
I think the the players that they brought in were very very smart um, to to do what they they did um, at the time of the club in order to make it work. Yeah. Who in that first class was the harder to go against in training? Was it Big Cat Omar Cummings or was it Shauna Coley? Or I've heard Harrison Delbridge had a hell of a rocket. I <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean Harrison could really unleash on one, but it was probably one out of ten that hit the frame. So <laughs> <laughs> It was either going, it was either hitting a scoreboard or it was you know, <laughs> taking my head off. So no, I, I'm just, I'm just um, no, he, he could unleash his shot for sure. Um, I think, man, I mean, Sean, Sean was, you know, Ugo was, it was a lethal, but he was, he was like a poacher, you know, he, he couldn't yeah. really, you know, he wasn't a guy that is going to line up in a fishing drill and, you know, bag everyone. It was, you know, he's not like a, you know, a Miguel or Joseph from Atlanta. I mean, I went in to didn't expect to save anything about those guys, you know? Um, <laughs> but it, I think honestly, you know, J- Jimmy and Wida were probably the most deadly, like kind of inch finishing drills. Those guys should just pick out, pick out spots. Um, and it was really, really difficult. So I would say um, probably those guys. What do you think, Wida offside or offside or onside against Chicago Fire? Definitely offside. It was the right call. <laughs> oh, oh <whoa>. wow! <laughs> the hot take. Oh it my was hundred percent the right call. The referee should, uh, you know, it, it was a uh, by far the. <laughs> it was the call that got things to PKs, is what we're seeing right here. <laughs> that's what I said. It's the right call. Did I not just say that, guys? It was the right call. <laughs> Oh man! So you talk about that mix of guys that you had that that made that locker room so good. In the build up to that first MLS season, as you guys are training, you go down to IMG. Um, you're building this new team. What were your expectations for what things were going to be like in Cincinnati for this club? You had no idea what you were going to expect in terms of fan support what the culture around the club was going to eventually develop into. But what, what was the talk in the locker room going into that first season before you guys actually made your debut in Cincinnati? Yeah. I mean, honestly, uh, you know, I talked with Kenny and, and those guys before we came in and um, I mean, we knew that we were going to be really good for the level um, because of the players that we were bringing in. I mean, we knew that we were going to play, um, but as far as, you know, I, I mean, honestly, I came in um, growing up in Michigan. Um, I played with the Michigan Bucks growing up, and you know, I used to play the Dayton Dutch Lions and and all that stuff um, back in the PDL. And I heard that um, they kind of have an a loose affiliation at the time, um, and so I was really worried about kind of that um, because of how the support was for that, um, and then. I heard that it was kind of going a different direction and there was, and there was kind of talk in the locker room about, is this really going to pick on? Um, Cause you know, it's always hit or miss, um, you right. know, with USL soccer, right? I mean, you had, right. um, and so we just kind of went into it. We're like, you know what, we're going to be good. We're going to play. We're all getting, you know, we're all in a, in a good situation. We're playing soccer and, and we're getting paid to do it. And, you know, let's, let's just go out and, and win games. And then uh, a stormy, rainy, 
day and there you guys show up and you guys <laughs> change the whole perspective of everything. And um, I mean, honestly, like down at IMG and everything like that, we had no, no expectations other than we were going to be good. Cause down at IMG, we beat like, we beat New York um, when, you know, mm. David Villa was playing and, you know, we had a good game and we, you know, so we had a really good trip down there and we knew we could play soccer. And so, I mean, I guess as far as everything else goes, there was just literally no expectations going into it. Yeah. I know in that Nipper stadium setup with the fans directly behind the goal in the Bailey, I've heard that that had like a different vibe on the field compared to other stadiums where it felt more like the fans were on top of it. Could you describe like what that sensation was like versus other stadiums? Yeah. You know, I think it's super cool because you're above, you're above the goal and you're, you know, you're talking down. I mean, you know, the first row is right above you Um, in, in a, in a normal stadium, that height of person is, you know, how far back i mean you know i haven't been to to cincinnati's stadium but think about any stadium that level of persons you know what 15 rows back right um from the field so it's really not you know you can hear it but it's not on top yet and i mean it's it gives you a rush when when you're playing in front of it and they're for you um i can't imagine (laughs) playing playing against it for sure. And, um, it was, it was really something special. Yeah. They, uh, they tried desperately to recreate it and, uh, in the new stadium, they really wanted the fans to get on board with it. But, uh, I got to tell you being in that stand, the sight lines were awful. We could not see, (laughs) we could not see if the ball went in the goal, (laughs) but otherwise fantastic. (laughs) So what was it like going out there that first time? And it's a USL game. They had sold, I think to that first match, some 13, 14,000 seats tickets, which was kind of unprecedented in the USL at the time. Very Mm -hmm. unprecedented, I would say. And, you walk on the field the first time and just there's so many people and it just gets gro- keeps growing week after week from that. Yeah. What, what was that like to play in that environment, having played in the old NASL, having played, like you said, in the, in the PDL? What was that like and what was that environment like compared to what you'd experienced in the past? Yeah, I mean, I think the most fans that I had ever been in front of was the NASL championship against the Rowdies. Um you know, but even back then the route, you know, the stadium's so far away from the field and there's only a certain amount as an old baseball stadium. So it really wasn't that, uh, I guess, intimidating an atmosphere. Um, but that first game, I mean, you go back to it and, you know, you hear Jeff and, and people, Dan, you know, Hey guys, you know, we got 14,000. <laughs> no, we don't. dude. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> you may have 14,000 tickets that you gave away, but how many people are coming? Um, cause you know, right. you, you, you hear, you know, I've been in Minnesota, you know, and, oh, we have 10,000 fans where, <laughs> you know, and so, and then, but, and you go out and you warm up and you guys aren't there for the start to warm up. And I used to be out super early as, uh, goalkeepers go, but there wasn't really much. I was like, okay, you know, this stadium's going to be kind of empty. Um, and then all of a sudden just, you start hearing you guys like walk, you know, the drums and the singing. And even from the first time, 
and we stopped. And I was just like, I remember all of a sudden you look up and the stands are full. You know, it was just kind of one of those, it was a surreal moment when you like, and then we had a rain delay and you guys didn't go home. I'm not sure I wanted to go home. (laughs) (laughs) We were all like, can this game be done? We're up one nothing. Let's go home. Um, And you guys are still up there singing. And um, I think that's when we really knew that the, everything was going to be special because, and I've said it multiple times. I I don't know if you guys, but you guys, not, not us, you guys made this club special. So um that's that's what you got you mls not anything else it was it was you guys and uh, stuff like that don't undersell that open cup run now come on that was, <laughs> that was pretty pivotal <laughs> no what was i mean it had to have been a little bit of whiplash going from you know potentially twenty thousand people in cincinnati to playing against you know in front of a thousand people in bethlehem or Harrisburg Islanders or wherever else it might've been. Was it harder to like get up for those road matches or, or what was that like? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you hear it all the time where, you know, somebody has a certain team or somebody has a certain setup and you get everybody's best game all the time. Um, Well, I think like, yeah, that's true, but everybody got our worst game because, you know, it was, (laughs) um, yeah, like you said, I mean, you go to Bethlehem and you're playing at noon on a Wednesday. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and the only people that are in the stands are like the people, the kids that actually go to Lehigh that don't have class at lunchtime or something. <laughs> um, and, you know, it, it is, it is tough. And I think looking at um, the USL, I think that's what makes the USL one of the toughest leagues i think even tougher than the mls and i think that mls is probably the toughest league in the world with travel and the amount of surfaces and you know that's why a lot of dps and stuff big time players don't come here and do well um but then you look at you know even bigger players that have come and played in the nasl or the usl it's just so tough to go um you know it's like when we played the cosmos they used to fill that hofstra stadium you used to play in front of twelve thousand people but then you'd come to minnesota and play in front of a thousand um so Lower league soccer is definitely finicky like that. I think it's getting better um, for sure, but it, it was it was tough for sure. And I've actually, I just, this is a take you may or may not agree with, but I also thought that that impacted the officiating in games as well, that you had officials that officiated in the USL. And they'd come to Cincinnati and it would be the largest crowd they'd ever officiated in front of. And it's a different experience to have a thousand people telling you to go fuck yourself for making a bad call. <laughs> versus 20,000 people riding you for not giving a card out in a situation or whatever. And I think we got some incredibly inconsistently officiated games because the crowd got in the head of the officials, too. I thought it impacted all facets of the game. The the disparity of experience between friends and family night at Richmond Kickers versus everyone in Cincinnati packing Nippert on a Saturday night. Yeah, and you know I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that it it was right. But I mean, those referees are guys that are on their way up as well. So, you know, just like the players, I'm sure, you know, you had 16 or 17 year olds that are just now contract. They come in and get their minds blown at Cincinnati because they've never played in front of, you know, 20,000 people, you know, a referee who is just came from, you know, a division two game uh, in college. And now they're refing a pro game with, you know, 25, 26,000 people. Um, I mean, it's quite intimidating for them. And, 
Um, yeah, I'm sure you guys, uh, well, actually I know that you guys don't make it easy on them. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, uh, you you may be famous around Cincinnati, but still, uh, old Guido uh, Gonzalez Jr. I believe is his full name. Poor guy. I believe it was his first game as a center ref at this level. Handed out like eight or nine cards, and he he just had like villain status as a referee for the rest of his time refing games. And he's worked his way up. He's doing MLS games. He's honestly yeah. been probably the fairest referee we've had as uh, as Cincinnati. But that first game, man, that. That lives in people's minds. <laughs> yeah. uh, and referees never get it right, do they? No. Um, they're always wrong. <laughs> uh, they're always wrong. I, referee, I would never be a referee. Those guys have the hardest job in sports because they're never wrong. I mean, there's two teams, right? So you make a call and you're never, you're never right. So you're always wrong. <laughs> I believe uh, you were the victim of the first USL VAR red card. I could be yeah. wrong about that, but you got to be one of the first. <laughs> yeah, no, I was. So um, that was funny because I, yeah, we got it rescinded actually. Um, yes. <laughs> it was, so as a pilot um, that year, it was a pilot program and New York was the only one to have it um, because <laughs> they were the only ones that played in a stadium. So in our league, Right. Uh, they were piloting it for the MLS. Um, you know, the MLS didn't even have it. So they happened to be having it in our game. And um, they gave me a red card. And then the VAR went up and he goes, yeah, yeah, it's a red card. And I w- was shocked until I found out who the referee, the VAR referee was. And then I wasn't really shocked anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about having a reputation, even in the video review booth. It's like, oh yeah, I saw that one coming. Well, well, in his defense, it was James O'Connor was the video assistant referee. So, was... oh, so no. you go from you go from year one in FC Cincinnati, and you move on to year two, and the team continued to be ambitious, and there was so much of an allegation that this team sort of buying attempting to buy championships. What was it like moving from year one to year two and the team adds a new crop of players in? How did that change the vibe of the locker room, especially with John leaving? And was that first year something magic that couldn't be replicated? Or did the things change with the team in year two? What was your experience as like it sort of turned the corner as being one of the the originals that stayed on? Yeah, you know, a lot of stuff happened. Um that changed the, I think changed the club. Um, and from, from that aspect, I think the, you can never fault a club for trying to win championships at, at any disposal that's given to them. Um, right. I mean, uh, you see it time and time again, that you can buy a championship, but also you can buy losses and, you know, the team that's not doing that wins championships. So, um, you know, both, both ways I think can happen and you can't, you can't fault the club for trying to, to beat the best that they can be. Um, especially if they have aspirations of something else. Um, but yeah, I think with the vibe in the locker room, I think we went, uh, we went away from the mindset, the brand of soccer, the, um, just the, the enjoyment of why the club was what it was. Um, and, you know, I think, and it wasn't anything, but just kind of, a, I think a, a 
bad time and um, bad timing and everything. Yeah. I, one player in particular interests me that joined that year two team. And I'm, I'm not sure what sort of stories you would have have uh, with this guy uh, being a keeper, but uh, that was one GB fall and GB yeah. to me is like a mythical character in this story comes over from the Kazakhstani league. I think showed up for one year was devastating and then just disappeared into the ether. What was it like having a guy like him as a teammate that had to have been a unique experience? Yeah. I, I mean, I wasn't necessarily the, I guess, the most normal person, um, but this guy left me. This guy left me. And... <laughs> yeah, he uh, he was an interesting interesting cat, man. He, uh... but he was just the nicest dude, though, and he he meant well, and he worked hard, and um, you know, we just all have our quirks and. Um... <laughs> And he can score a header against Columbus, so you know I'll I'll take it <laughs> for better for better or for worse. And you do you, man, and you know it's fine. We uh, we were talking before the show whether we were sort of taking bets. Did GB practice? Did he train, or was he the kind of guy who saved it in the tank for Saturday? Oh, you mean like the pro days? Tom yeah, <laughs> the veteran day, if you will, the Tom yeah. Brady day. <laughs> Man. Um, no, I think he, you know, honestly, um, you know, so the first year, I don't think anybody took a pro day. I think John, John was fantastic at getting guys, getting the best out of guys um, every day. And they wanted to be out there and we wanted to train. And um, the next year was really more, um just trying to maintain some type of um, some type of lack of, uh, of, you know, what word I'm thinking of, but um, it was just trying to get guys what they needed. Um, I can't really think it was like, if you needed to train, then you train, you know, it was, it was a different philosophy in the team. Um, you know, it was kind of do, do what you need. Um, you're a pro, you should know what you, what you need. And um because, you know, in the middle of the season in the USL, it's a grind. Um, so I think GB was, you know, he was the guy that trained. Um, I don't, I can't think of anybody that really took a lot of pro days, but um, yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting, he was an interesting guy. <laughs> I'm just thinking back about what, yeah, I'm just thinking just kind of about him. But he was he was fun. He was good. There, there's a notorious Back. story about GB that exists just in the fan ether. It's been told several times by unnamed sources that GB once uh, got lost on the highway and just turned his car off and threw the hazards on and waited for someone to come pick him up in the middle of Interstate 75. <laughs> I hope that that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I had I, I have never heard that story. I don't. I, don't know. Um, well, I guess my question would be who let him drive in the first place? Um, Great question. That's a beautiful question. Because I know that he didn't have a car because he drove with one of us to training every day. Um, you know, I think oh, outside of Corbin, I think he was probably the only one that didn't have a car. 
Oh man, we got some questions. We got some follow up questions for some people. Then <laughs> wait, Cor- Corbin didn't have a car. No, uh, not uh, for that Northside I mean, lifestyle. Yeah, no. So Corbin, um, honestly, like Corbin's, this was fascinating. So he Ubered everywhere um, <laughs> before um, before him and Annie got married. Um, he was just kind of chilling. I mean, he, we all live together, so it didn't really matter. Um, and you're in Cincinnati, we're in Oakley, so you can Uber everywhere. Um, but yeah, he didn't, he didn't own a car and, and he came from the fire where he lived downtown. So again, you know, you pay more for a parking spot than you do, um, your apartment. So, um, I think just out of just, he didn't need one. And then he started living with the guys that had one, so there was really no use. It's, he's probably still bumming rides to and from Louisville and Cincinnati. We have to keep an eye out on that. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you think he keeps getting Cincinnati guys to sign down there? <laughs> See, he needs rides. <laughs> he, he needs a ride. They've added Lyft now. He doesn't need to keep signing former SC Cincinnati players. They've got two apps you can get a ride from these days. <laughs> Take an Uber halfway, a Lyft halfway. The other halfway. <laughs> I love that. I do I do have one last GB question. And, and we asked Mike Watts this question. I got to ask you this question. Do you think GB actually bit Niall McCabe? What was the vibe yeah. in the locker room? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. I, I mean, we, uh, yeah, go. Yeah. I mean,. <laughs> I don't know for sure. I, I don't know. He never was like, yeah, dude, I did it. Um, <laughs> but I could see it happening. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, <laughs> would a grown man really be like, he bit me? Like, <laughs> would you admit that if it didn't happen? Would you try to fake? I don't think I'd try to fake that. It's um, a good, it's a good counter argument. Yeah. There's so <laughs> many different ways that you can dive and look for a card or look for a foul other than saying yeah. grown man bit my face. <laughs> grown man bit me. Um, yeah. I mean, honestly, like if he really did bite him, I'm surprised that something more didn't happen. I mean, if somebody bit me, I, I don't, I don't know if I'd really be able to hold myself back. <laughs> right. Me, like, or what if he one of those things where the shock takes over and it's like you think in this moment I would deck the guy, but you're so shocked that another grown man bit you in the face that you sort of don't know how to react? Like, <laughs> Yeah, you don't really know what to do. Did this I just happen? Know. Yeah, you don't really know. <laughs> What's amazing about that in particular is that uh, – Yes, the the bite the league suspends him, but he's still eligible for the Open Cup, and he goes on to score. I think in yeah. each of the first four games to basically yeah. scoot the team along in the Open Cup. By but I'd say by himself is a team effort. He's he's the one on the score sheet though. Um, yeah, but he gets to the Chicago Fire game. You guys are talking about pro days. I mean, he did that on purpose. He wanted to. He didn't want to play. You know, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. He's too much. Just the guy out of all of us. That's way he's, too much. He's back there consulting the U.S. Open Cup rule book, being like, "Okay, does this card not count for that?" Yep. All right, first guy I see, it's on site. 100%. That's that's a smart pro right there. Is. That's that's working smarter, not harder. It's a whole new meaning to a professional foul. I like it. Oh yeah. Uh, but he he gets you he gets you to the Chicago Fire game and. I mean that's that's the the penultimate moment in 
FC Cincinnati history. And a couple of things happened to get to that point as well, which is that the College World Series wrapped up in two games. It didn't go to three games, so the game got bumped to ESPN. I don't know if a lot of people noticed that. It was supposed to be on ESPN 2. It got bumped to ESPN 1 for that one. Um, But in that game in particular, what I think doesn't get talked about enough, and I'm just going to continue to to brown nose you here, is yes, the penalties – were awesome and and winning in 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 that fashion is incredible. But your goalkeeping during the match is top shelf. Like that is what th- there is no grand finale if you're not constantly keeping that uh th- that net clear. That was just an incredible performance from start to finish. I appreciate that. It was, I mean, honestly, I have said that before. I was like, you know, the penalties were, were good, but I actually had a really good game. Um, <laughs> but you know, outside of that, I mean, just the amount of effort that, and I've said this uh, numerous times that, you know, I wasn't the run running around for 120 minutes. And I think Harrison cleared a ball off the, the line and, yes. um, I mean, there were a lot of things that um, that happened in that game that were just kind of could have it could have turned out really poorly for us <laughs> if, if it went a different direction. So we're in the middle of the U.S. Open Cup right now, and just the U.S. Open Cup in general. That run was was magical here for all of us in FC uh, in Cincinnati. Probably, hopefully, for you guys too for the experience. The Open Cup. When you're playing from that underdog position where you are a USL team, we were the USL team at the time, and you draw a team like Columbus, then you draw a team like Chicago, then New York, is there a sense that you guys are playing with house money that we can be laid back and have fun? Or is it a a tense, like, this is our one chance to prove something to the upper division of soccer in America. How do you guys in the locker room view that open cup from the lower level underdog position uh, when you're about to start play these games? Uh, I think you go into it where, you know, you just want to want to perform well. Um, you know, for a lot, I think for a lot of us, um, you know, you don't really know what your future is going to be in, in that type of situation. Um, and playing a team like Columbus, um, playing a team like Chicago, um, playing these guys that you were you, and it still happens to this day. Um, that's a tryout for these guys, you know, like you're trying out and, and, you know, our game being on ESPN, like you're trying out for every team now, you know, people are going to watch that game. And, um, and so I get, I think in that level, you're going out to, um, I mean, you saw it with, with Detroit city beating Columbus, um, in this past round, um, you know, it, it, those guys are, <laughs> um, yeah, I had to drop that one in there. Um, <laughs> you know, those guys are, and I don't know a lot of them, but they're, I mean, they're trying to get to that level and, and they probably played harder in that one than they did on the weekend against whoever they played. Um, and so I think, uh, I think that's kind of where you are in the open cup. And, um, you know, it's, it helps the, the collective, but, um, at the end of the day, I think you have, you have nothing to lose, but you have everything to gain. And that was not just the players, but the club as well. Um, you know, I think everybody was, we have nothing to lose. We could get crushed 
you know, 10, nothing, but we sold out Nippert and we're on ESPN. So from a club standpoint, they got it right. Right. Like they nothing to lose. Um, and for us players, like we got there, we're playing nothing to lose. We have everything to gain. So um, I think as a collective, that's kind of how it was. So after your, after your performance against Chicago, did you get a 3 a.m. phone call from Tata Martino? The- <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I wish. I mean, I, you know, that would, uh, I, I honestly, you know, I wouldn't have been as starstruck every, every, then every day. I mean, I still, even when I talk to John now, I still don't believe that I have John Harks in my phone number. You know, it's growing up and, we used to walk our dogs together and stuff. I was like, dude, I'm friends with John Harks. This is unbelievable. <laughs> then I go to, you know, um, and Ryan, you know, Ryan's a fantastic coach. That whole staff was great, man. I still talk with those guys. They're fantastic. Jamie, Jamie Starr, best goalkeeper coach. Um, I mean, that whole staff was fantastic. And so as a part of all this, when you're going through the Open Cup run, I'm always fascinated by this, too, that – you were a household name in Cincinnati, Ohio. You still are a household name in Cincinnati, Ohio. To anyone who's a sports fan, hey, I will say that I was in Cincinnati for a night, and no one bought me a drink. So, all right, we got to oh. fix this. Oh, all these people, oh. I am so disappointed <laughs> in this city right now. Oh, hey, this is so not I, good. This is a bad used, look for Cincinnati. <laughs> I had I had bets with people. Actually, I had a bet with my brother. My brother, and he goes, he goes, hey, um. You're gonna go. You're gonna be in Cincinnati. You guys gonna go out? I was like, yeah, we're gonna go out. He goes, you think? I go, absolutely not. No one will recognize me. <laughs> Where'd you go? Um, we went to we went to Oakley. I'm not gonna say where. Um, and oh. then we were and then uh, we were um, up in Blue Ash. And I'm not gonna say where. <laughs> if it was animations, I understand why nobody bought you a beer. <laughs> <laughs> no no comment no comment more I've... people recognize me in Louisville than when I was in Cincinnati how about Ooh, that? Wow. Oh, wow well, they oh, all play is... for the team down there but... <laughs> <laughs> I mean it was you know Luke and <laughs> I mean half the team coaches for their academy now right so right um... But, nah. but what what was it like, though, during that time period when there's people walking around the concourse with Mitch Says No shirts on, um, you're on the cover of the team book, um, you're interviewed on the local radio station a bunch of times. What was that like coming into a town and then all of a sudden you were the celebrity face of this this team? You were the face of FC Cincinnati. How yeah. How did you – did you enjoy that? Was it something where it was just a distraction to you playing and going on with your career? How did you, how did that, how was that to you when you came here and almost instant celebrity status with this team? Yeah. Um, I, I, I enjoyed it because I'm genuinely a, a people person and I love just talking like when my wife and I would go to sleepy B or, or something and people recognize me, um, you know, I love that just because we got to to talk and shoot the shit with people and um, just have genuine conversations like I am now. I mean, anytime, you, you know, people from Cincinnati ask me to do stuff like this, um, I hop on it just, you know, just because I like genuinely talking to people. And then you guys, um, Cincinnati, the fans there truly made our time there special um, because you guys are genuine people. Um, and so from that aspect, it was great. 
Um, the other aspect, uh, I had a quite, um, and it took me a while to, to fully, but mentally, I think people don't realize how hard it is for people. Um, and I think I had a tough, really tough time mentally, um, with getting grips of, um, not wanting to let mainly the city. Um, but you know, John, hundred percent, John Ryan, the guys that took a chance on me, I didn't want to let them down. Um, you know, my wife that moved to Cincinnati for, for me and, um, and then this whole 30 something thousand that showed up every weekend, um, going from a nobody to now having this on your shoulders. Um, it genuinely, you know, it was, it was really, really tough mentally. And, um, it took me a long time to kind of get over that and, and thankful I, I am, um, I'm in a better place and, and can relive it, but I don't think people real really understand what a toll that that takes on, on an athlete, because you don't, you don't want to, you, you, you are where you are because you're competitive. You want to be the best and you got there because of that nature. Um, and then all these other people now are, are hoping that you got, you do what you're supposed to, and then you don't want to let them down. Um, you know, and so I think the guys that do really well with it, um, you know, fair play, but yeah, for me, it was, it was quite tough. Um, but I think the, what made it all worth it, like I said, was just, um, after games, having genuine conversations with the people, if it was another city, um, I think it would be even more tough. Um, but you guys definitely made it, made it fun. So is that experience and, and, you know, go having, having been there and, and gone through all those things, is that something you bring to, uh, coaching and how you, you know, talk to players and yeah. prepare them, not just as a player, but, you know, as also as a person, if they want to pursue this, um, as a career. Yeah. A hundred percent. You know, I think, you know, you always kind of see the bright lights and, you see these players playing on TV and all that stuff, but you don't realize the baggage that comes with it. And especially for your family members. Um, and so when I deal with young players now, and I'm very fortunate uh, now to, and I never thought that I want to be in youth soccer, but um, I actually am fortunate. I, I get to, to do that. Um, you, you want to, you want to bring the picture of, of what it's like for these guys um, because it's not, sunshine and, and rainbows. Right. I mean, I slept on a couch in Minnesota for four years because I, I couldn't make rent. You know, I made $600 a month. Um, my wife and I lived in separate places for seven years, um, before we were finally together in Cincinnati. And the only reason that we were together was because John, thank God, got me my own apartment when we, they didn't give players their own apartments. Um, and John was very adamant about me getting my own apartment because we had just gotten married and but if that didn't happen, she wasn't moving with me. Um, and so, you know, it's it, the, especially the lower leagues, but I mean, even in the MLS, um, you know, you see it all the time, you know, guys sign a year and then three year options and they're gone, you know? And um, I think speaking with young players now, you, you try to hammer home the enjoyment factor because once you lose that, and I think youth soccer at times is going to, a job like atmosphere for these kids, um, especially in the academies. And I think the academies that do really well um, are the ones that keep the enjoyment factor. 
you know, the Kansas cities, the Dallas's, the Phillies, um, you know, there's three or four of them that are very successful because they don't lose the, the kid like atmosphere. Um, you know, they don't put so much pressure on the kids um, because it is tough when you go from nothing to everything on your shoulders. And it's, you know, so um, I try to, to have that sentiment where, you know, it's not all or nothing, you know, you, you, there's too much in life to, to put all of it into just that one game or that one season or that one, um, you know, and it's the, you know, it's the, that type of thing that I think that we owe it to these guys to, and that's why so many ex players are becoming academy coaches now that are coming second team coaches in the MLS. I mean, you know, um, not just because they want to, because I think that they're the best advocates about what these kids are getting into. Yeah. And for better or worse, you guys were also part of the first generation of players that have come through an American soccer system with soccer mm-hmm. in the ascendancy. The last generation of coaches that came through came, if they played, it was either overseas or if they played in MLS, it was to a different type of audience, a different type of attention level. And, and now it's, we're, we're getting people like you who have played at the highest level and on the biggest stages. And I, I have to think that's a benefit to the next generation of American soccer player who we are going to expect now to play in MLS at a high level and possibly play in Europe at a high level uh, to help grow the game in this. So I, I think that's imp- more imperative now than ever before. Yeah. I, you know, I think you're seeing it also. I mean, there's a lot of, and I'm not sure, you know, ever, I can't speak to every academy, but, um, you know, when I was in Kansas City, like there was more s- emphasis put on the academy and the second team um, at some points than because that's the basis, that's the fundamental base of, of the club. Because ultimately, you want to bring kids in um, that have a passion for the team because MLS is so difficult as a club. Um, and, I, I, you know, you can Cincinnati is a testament to that. You brought in um, head coaches um, that don't know the league. Um, and ultimately, it's the same thing as bringing in a player that doesn't know the league. Um, I, I am a firm believer that um, you need a core of players or the coaches or, or something that knows the league because you could play. And, and we were talked about at Bethlehem and, and stuff, but in the MLS, there's parity. I mean, you go to um, sh- shit, you go to Seattle, play on turf on a Saturday in front of 70,000 people. Um, but then you go on a Wednesday, uh, you know, to, to old, you know, New England and, and Foxborough and there's four people in stands. Um, so, I mean, I mean, obviously Bruce has done a great job and they're a different club now, but that's just the, you know, when I was playing, that's a, um, an example, but, um, you know, I think, yeah, having people that have been through the American soccer system, because no one, you know, who travels, who travels five hours on a plane to play the next day in any other country, in any other league, it doesn't happen. Um, and then at the lower levels, we're doing it on buses. Um, you know, so it's, uh, it's a different atmosphere for sure. What would, uh, what would, uh, I don't know, youth coach Mitch Hildebrandt give as advice to a youth player, Mitch Hildebrandt, if you were, if you were coaching you back in the day, what's, what's a piece of advice you would have wanted? 
Enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride. I, I think I was so hung up on the, the, the end result, um, then enjoying the moments. Um, you know, I mean, for instance, after the, the fire game, you know, I went home and went to bed. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I was tired, but I mean, after a moment like that, like go out and have a beer with the, you know, with, with the teammates and have a good time and go out to dinner with my wife and, um, go out and be with the fans and, and this and that. And, um, I, I went home and went to bed and, <laughs> and then got up early in the morning and went for a run and, and did God knows what, which I shouldn't have been doing. Um, you know, instead of just enjoying the moment at that time. And so I think for, for younger kids and I think for anybody in life, I think it's because you don't realize, and it's said all the time, you don't realize when stuff's going to be done. But um, I think you, you look back and you wish that you went about things. I don't, I don't wish that my career went differently in any way. Um, I just, I wish I would have been able to sit back and, and enjoy it in the moment than, you know, getting to the end and talking about it. <laughs> well, hey, we appreciate you talking about it. <laughs> and, and, and honestly, if it makes you feel any better, um, you made a generation of fans of the game in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, and like I said, there's thousands of us that participated in that clap after wins. We haven't had a lot of haven't had a lot of wins to clap about recently, but back then that was that was special. That was really cool, and it. It's not. It's stuff that, as we as fans, I think I speak for a lot of us that we wouldn't change any of that for the world. I think that was, those were the good old days, and we didn't realize they were the good old days when they were happening. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> no, I, I uh, you know, although I left Cincinnati, it's still a big part of my life, and it's in my heart, and just like Atlanta and, and Minnesota, it's hold hold special places in my heart. Um, and you know, I'm I'm good friends with Alec, um, and so. Uh, and a bunch of guys that are on the team. And, um, you know, I still, I still root for the club and, and it hurts when, when the losses come, just like when Atlanta loses, it, it really hurts me. And, um, and so, yeah, it's, uh, I, I think any, anything. And I think the, the staff now, you know, I have tremendous respect for those guys. I, I really think that they're going to do a really, really good job with this club. And I think that club, the club will be returned to, to, to what it was. Speaking of Alec, I watched a Q&A you guys did when you were at Atlanta together, and um, yeah. you were asked uh, what superhero you would be, yeah. and I believe you said Superman. Is your, has your answer changed? <laughs> Only the best research. <laughs> yeah. Man, you guys are going back. Uh-huh. <laughs> I wonder if we both have the same. Actually, I know I don't have the same car. I wonder if he still has his Nissan Altima. Um, <laughs> I, At least he uh, has a car. <laughs> I know Corbin has a car. Um, it's a minivan now, but no. The, uh, I think yes, yeah, Superman was a good. That's a. I mean, that's a stock answer. You know what? I think if I was more clever at the time, it would be something. Um, you know, like. Aquaman or just something cool. I mean, everybody says Superman, Superman or Batman. Or, you know. <laughs> Alex said Batman. 
<laughs> yes, we were just giving stock answers. We were backup goalkeepers to Brad Guzan, and we were just happy to be getting some getting some love, you know. We got a we got a couple of Chick Fil A cards for that, so you know we were. Relaxed. There you go. Can't go on Sunday, but any other day. Chick Fil A in Atlanta, Georgia is like both guys. Oh no! Like I, I, in Cincinnati. <laughs> Uh, Fitch, you, you've been incredibly uh, gracious with your time. I don't want to take up uh, any more time than, uh, than than we have to here. I do want to ask one quick question because we brought mm-hmm. up Alec Khan. You you played behind Guzan. Um, yeah. I'm curious what your what what you would be thinking or what you're guessing Khan is thinking watching Guzan go down after having been the backup for so long. Is there is there regret for moving on? Is it just the the professional risk? Is it, I'm curious what what the feeling is when that happens. Yeah, no, I mean, I I spoke with with Alec, and and honestly, like I was gutted for him. I mean, you don't never want that to happen to a player, especially a friend. Um, right. And Brad and his wife were fantastic to us, and and you don't. I mean, we were just gutted, and I was. I felt so bad when that happened because you don't, he's had such a great career. Yeah. Um, and yep. to have that happen is, um, but I think for, for Alec, it was more the same thing. I think, cause he had played with Brad for a long time. Um, he was yep. in Atlanta, you know, even before I got there. And um, I think it was just a, you know, a, a friendship and you see a friend go down. I, I don't think anything else popped in his mind. Other than that, you know, I think he moved on because it was time for him to, to get us another opportunity. Um, and Brad's been fantastic and Alec didn't see kind of that Avenue. Um, and Alex, you know, for me, I mean, Atlanta had it so good for a long time. I mean, you had two starting goalkeepers, um, I mean, I, you know, for a year, I'll throw myself in there for a second. Yeah. But, Three. Um, <laughs> no, no, but those guys, I mean, training with those guys is, was, was fantastic. I would, honestly, I was kind of pissed that it was at the end of my career that I got to be with those guys and not the beginning because the younger guys that was training with us, I don't think realized how good that they had at training with Brad and Alec. I mean, those guys are, um, I mean, Alec is an everyday starter in this league. Brad's obviously world-class. Um, and so I think it was just time just one of those things that happen in sports, but I don't think in Alex's mind, other than just worry for a friend, um, a, a guy that's in pain, you know, and, and I think the, the even worse, I was watching it on TV. Um, but even the worst part, you're there. Um, and you want to just yeah. go, you want to go be with them, you know, and, um, because you have that close relationship with them. And, um, so I think that was probably tougher on him than, and even just anything else. Oh, for sure. For sure. No, it's it's a tough break, but we're uh I mean we're happy to have Khan in town. So we're uh I, I would be. I would be. <laughs> yeah. was, uh when he signed there, I was I was pumped for it. I was pumped for him and you guys. I don't I honestly don't think that there was a better signing in the league that you guys could have gotten. And I I, I truly truly do believe that. Now I will say, Mitch, you your your Mitch says no did did set a very high bar we've not been able to come up with a chant or a song for a goalkeeper since then it's just been everything has felt like a, a sad copy of it so we'll, <laughs> we'll eventually come up with something for con hopefully but but, but if you want to if you want to if you want to text him and find out if he's got any thoughts and forward it back to Ooh. us of like, 
Yes. <laughs> I can. I, I, I will. I'll get back to you guys. Um, Alex, Alex, one of those guys that I think doesn't like to think about. I mean, he's like a coffee shop book reading guy, um, likes to get away. Um, so I don't. Yeah. I don't think he would even give me that idea if I even, if he even had it, um, unless I feel the fire and I was like, bro, like I, I have something like I have, you better, something. Give, you better give me a better idea than the one if, I'm about to give you him. Don't, if you don't tell me, you're just going to start saying Mitch says no every time. You <laughs> That's what There's you guys a- should do. I, I challenged the Bailey the next time Alec makes a save, you guys should say Mitch says no and see what Alec does. The oh. gauntlet's been thrown down. <laughs> Now we have talk to, to the people. Alec, Alec, Alec and I, it's it's funny, we go way back. Um, I got released from the Charleston Battery on a trial because they signed him. And so Whoa. yeah, so we go we go way, way back. And so um I think it'd be kind of funny. Or even just a Mitch says hi, that would be kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, I gotta come. I gotta I have not been down to Cincinnati since I left. Um, I mean, other than this past, that past weekend, just to play the coach a game, but, um, I got to come, come down for a game. I think that's kind of a, that's a bucket list of mine to very soon. And I just hope that I can sit with you guys. I I do want to see a game from the Bailey. Um, so if you guys will allow me to sit with you, I I would love to. You say the word, we'll make it happen. And I can also promise you, I'll buy you that beer. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I'm in. You will, you will not need to budget for beer. That will right. be off the table. That'll be taken care of. No. This this will be our, my penance for Cincinnati not buying you that beer when you were here the last time, is I will buy you beers at stadium prices. Whoa. <laughs> I was just about to say, see, I was just about to say that. I was like, well, at stadium prices, that's one beer. And <laughs> we go around the corner and to Nadry and watch the game on TV. And that's have- that's what my embarrassment of the city not buying you a beer when you were here in town has bought you. It's bought you stadium price beers. Stadium you said you said Louisville beer. is doing better at recognizing than we were, and we've got to <laughs> we've got to make up for that. I think that's a shame, right there. <laughs> hey, honestly, you know, you guys can make it up for me when. When we come and play FC Cincinnati in, in the MLS next uh, league next year, um, and if we can get a bunch of people to come out and watch watch our little ones play, um, I will be gladly to um, go out and have a fun night with everybody. And um, I, I think getting these young kids to see what it's like to have real fans would be would be awesome. Oh, we sounds will. doable. We'll make this happen. Yes. (laughs) Oh, plus it'd be awesome for me to have you guys cheer for me and not your academy team. Ooh. So I'll even even ship you guys Michigan Wolf shirts if you guys (laughs) My fandom can be my fandom can be bought for a free t shirt. I'm gonna throw that. I want I want them to have to move a U fifteen game to TKL Stadium because so many many away fans are coming. (laughs) Yet all strangely bought their tickets from the Cincinnati area code. We don't know what's going on here. It's weird. Jeff, we're bringing so many people. We need to move this game. They can't get in. (laughs) Oh, man. We could could work this out. We'll we'll work with the other supporters groups. We'll, like, split them up. We can make this happen. This will be fun. I'm down. Oh. No, Mitch, this has been incredible, man. I, I don't want to keep you from uh from your, your wife and your, your busy life of uh 
I'm assuming watching tape of youth of youth soccer there. So um, <laughs> no, man, we uh, we really really appreciated uh, this conversation. Everything you've done for this city, uh, soccer and otherwise, man, like some some of the greatest moments of this city's sporting history are uh, thanks to you. So uh, definitely wanted to say thank you for that. No, I, I appreciate it, guys. I appreciate all this. Um, like I said, anything that, that anybody in Cincinnati ever needs, you guys got it for me. Um, you know, I think the special relationships that I have in my life came from Cincinnati, not only with the fans, but with John and with Ryan and with Jamie and with the players. And, um, you know, and every time I talk with the fans of FC Cincinnati, I honestly just become more and more um, – wishing that we could go back and do that first year over again, because you guys are fantastic. So I do appreciate you having me. Oh, any awesome. time, anytime. Thanks, Mitch. As long as you have me again um, and we can, you know, have a pint or something and, you know, it'll be fun. Don't threaten uh, me with a good time, Mitch. Yeah. We are back, part three of the postcast, and uh, man, Mitch, what an interview. That guy, I I wasn't sure which way it was going to go. I wasn't sure if I sort of overdid it with the GB questions, but, uh, you know, I I thought it was a really good conversation, interesting conversation for, uh, yeah, as we said, like one of the most famous soccer players in Cincinnati history. Um, Gotta get the man of beer. Gotta get the man of beer. Shame on... we couldn't we couldn't coax a bar out of him afterwards but shame on you oakley and uh blue ash you know who you are (laughs) that was uh that was disappointing to hear we had a reputation to live up to and we failed immediately so (laughs) it's going to be i think we're on agreement though it's going to be electric when mitch walks into the bailey for the first time returning back to Cincinnati after however many years. Like, I, I don't know that he even realizes how big of a fucking deal that's going to be if Mitch comes down before the game starts and, you know, he takes the drumstick and he starts beating the bass drum. The place is going to go bananas. Oh, I... I dream of that moment. I I will live for that moment. That would be so cool. Maybe we get a the golden spike from uh, Atlanta and have him do that as like the celebrity golden spike, and we kind of get the best of both worlds with that. That'd be fun. Uh, <laughs> it's a good thing that the club doesn't currently give a shit about USL history because then you know that they won't like try to get involved and screw it up. You know what's going right. to be like a nice fun moment with that's like purely like organic and fan driven, like. Listening to Mitch talk and also just like thinking about this interview as we were about to do it, because like I said, I the, when Mitch said he was going to do the pod, I was like a little fucked up. I was a little starstruck by the idea we we're going to talk to Mitch. And why isn't there a statue of Mitch with his arms up in the air outside of TQL Stadium? Why isn't that on? They have a big fucking concourse. Why doesn't Mitch have a goddamn statue? There is nothing more iconic about this team than him with his hands raised. And everyone in the Bailey following along. That's that is FC Cincinnati. If there's one thing we should be celebrating as a club, we should be celebrating that history. I 
fuck this whole divide between USL and MLS. It's all it's it's the it's like the Grateful Dead. It's all one song. Yes, yes. Although I wouldn't mind celebrating GB biting now, McCabe. But hey, you know what? Neither here nor there. Uh- <laughs> so what are we up to? We're up to one vote. He bit him, and Watts won't take a stand. So. What Watch did say we would uh I'm assuming you will get a uh a mysterious <laughs> thumbs up or thumbs down uh later on in uh in the year and we'll we'll just have to go from there. That'll be hilarious. <laughs> oh man. Well, enough enough of the old days. Let's let's talk about let's talk about this team that we've got right now. Um and in part 3 here I specifically wanted to tackle uh the job Albright has done. He's had now, is this one window? Is this two windows? I'm not sure what we're technically calling this. I think it's officially one window. Um, how do we feel about this window, Grayson? What's what's your vibe so far? So my, my vibe is kind of uh, anticipatory. Um, I'm judging him mostly on what I expect to be coming because um, we know we get a designated player landing at CVG either late tonight or very, very early tomorrow morning. Um, <laughs> we could still it make will, it. <laughs> it will have, it will have already happened by the time this, by the time this, by the time this is, this is pushed out. But so we got that guy. Um, Unless I'm still he's flying United, then we have no idea when he's going to get there. <laughs> I, I'm still hoping for a, you know, maybe Tam level center back. Um, I I was curious and I looked at um, the center back salaries in MLS, and there's like sixty five or to seventy, depending on how you classify guys' positions. Defenders who make more money than Cameron and Blackett, and it really feels like if you want to have a good center back pairing in MLS. You need to have. You want to have at least one of those guys at somewhere in like the six hundred thousand to 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 million dollar million dollar level. That's just a an anchor, like your Walker Zimmerman, your Miles Robinson. So yeah, I would I would like to see a starting kind of Tam level center back. Uh, hopefully another another midfielder, and um, you know if if some journeyman left back comes in as depth, that's fine too. Uh, but let's say he brings in at least like a starting level center back, brings in a DP. Let's assume Wobodo is is a monster like we all expect him to be. Um, if that happens, then I think Albright has done an incredible job over the course of the window. Is your expectation that – I do you think it's more likely they get a center back from outside of MLS or inside of MLS? I, I, I think it's going to come from outside. I think we have open uh, international roster slots for a reason. Yeah. Mm. See, I I have a sort of a different take. I don't really expect that much more activity in the window, to be honest with you. I think Wobodo is going to come in, and the sense that I get from watching this roster build is that the next move for Albright is to see what the team looks like with Wobodo in the lineup. Because you're bringing in a guy who is going to be an anchor piece, hopefully – for three years, if this all pans out, possibly longer. There's there's value in keeping Wobodo past his original contract because he drops off as a DP after his transfer fee is, is amortized over the course of the contract. So I, I, I do get the sense that 
they're going to wait until the summer window um, opens up, the European transfer window opens up uh, to make their next move. And I, I think that's for two reasons. One, I do agree they're going to go outside of MLS to get their next signing, given the fact that we're still holding on to these international slots. We still have the top spot in the allocation order until we get rid of that. That's a, it's a Chekhov's gun of roster construction right now. Um, and the <laughs> yeah, other thing, so if you wanted to get a center back from inside MLS, sorry to interrupt, but this is like, if you wanted to get a center back from inside MLS, you could get all the game that you would need to trade for Tim Parker or whoever. Um, by selling by the allocation trading, spot. By, by selling your allocation spot, yeah. and you could even sell the uh, international spots. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the international spots um more valuable now because you can't get your green card mid-season. So anyone that wants to do business in the window that needs an international spot, well, we've got two to sell. But I, I just get the sense that the reason why they're going to wait is primarily because I think Albright is going to want to see what this team looks like with Wobodo in the lineup and assess again where the positional need is, where the, the need to buy is. Um, Wobodo seems like the kind of talent that he does a little bit of everything, which is awesome. He looks like he's a destroyer. And so maybe he gets here and you see how he pairs with Kubo and that changes what decision you go with your need to buy. Maybe you see uh, that that pairing doesn't work and now your main focus is now trying to sell Kubo in the next window and move, get a replacement for Kubo. I don't know. And I, I get the sense that we're going to proceed cautiously versus what we've seen in the past where it's almost like uh, a hockey line change where a bunch of players come in and you throw them on the field and hope they all play well together. Um, I don't think that's what Albright's going to do here. I think that he's going to tread cautiously. But you need a, they need a CB. They need a center back. I mean, as much as happy as I am to see them pull out, you know, a close game against LAFC uh, last weekend and pull out that draw against Atlanta, they don't have they don't have enough bodies on the roster to rotate the center backs the way they're going to need to. But you know, even in just the league, frankly, yeah, yeah I just don't, I, I don't agree. I don't disagree with you. I just don't think that that's going to be that. If you look that they were sitting on a huge pile of fun bucks and the international spot. I don't necessarily believe the center back they bring in, if they bring someone in, is going to be a high dollar, big name, uh, buy down player. I, I could see them going and getting a body, but in terms of the next big talent addition, I don't think that comes till August, to be honest with you. Interesting. I mean, one thing too that is different now, I think, than what we were doing a week or two ago is I mean, Haglin was suspended for a yellow card accumulation. That's done with. Cameron came in as a sub against LAFC. I have to assume he's getting back to healthy. And, and he won't get hurt Murph, again. He will not. No, that's, Never. Uh, it, it's like uh, Madden, you know? It's like, all right, we got the one injury out of the way for this simulated season, so he's good now. <laughs> um, the, the probability ticked on us there. Um, no, and Murphy's looked fine. I, I even thought... He's looked better than Cameron this year. I mean, it's a small sample size for both, but I mean, he couldn't convince me that like we desperately needed to start Cameron over him every single game. I don't know. He's been fine. He's got a little speed to him. It's not, it's not impossible. I just don't think the center back, I mean, yes, there's a Viasia shaped hole in my heart and in this roster, but 
it's not as desperate as it, it maybe was a week or two ago. I also um, think too that we we need yeah. to consider the possibility, and the I don't think it's a possibility. I think it's a probability that we're going to start seeing rotation from the academy on this team and players coming up through the academy sooner rather than later. The Philadelphia system and the Philadelphia way has been to heavily utilize academy talent to fill out the back end of rosters. And you know, I I say that I, I wouldn't be surprised if they go and get a body from somewhere. Um, I think going forward on this team that going and getting a body is going to mean going down to the academy. I don't know that there's necessarily a center back ready to come up anywhere in the organizational structure, but that's something we're going to have to get used to too, is that the shopping list may be internal on a lot of this stuff. But don't you still need, I don't, I don't know the answer to this. I haven't looked it up, but I assume that you would still need room on your, on your, on the supplemental spots on your roster to bring an academy player in. Um, and I believe all of our supplemental roster spots are full. Mm. I mean, you could always loan out a couple of guys to, to to banish them to the USL, a la Ben Mines. So Zico Bailey, Atanga, feel like guys that could potentially end up in Louisville or Indianapolis or wherever. Atanga uh, seems like a very obvious choice to not be with this club much longer in terms of the yeah. way he's looked and the way that the team has chosen to deploy him. Atanga definitely feels like a guy who might even recoup a couple of bucks transferring him back out internationally. Maybe someone in Denmark still has a very high opinion of him. Um, maybe uh, maybe our new relationship with the uh, Heart of Oak or, or whatever the, uh, the Canadian <laughs> team is. <laughs> still waiting for that payoff on TSG Hoffenheim for taking Franco for a full fucking year. Seriously, maybe they got a promising young German center back we could loan for half a year, huh? I mean, come on now. Like Hanko Fabasech. The tank has got to be something. There's got to be something else going on there because I, I know that I know that we had a miserable season last year, but you saw certainly flashes of very high potential from him last year. Yeah. Oh yeah. And his his speed is still an elite skill. Um, I mean, you know, there's, there've been guys like Jurgen Dom who were fast and that's it, but, and, you know, and weren't all that useful of, of a player, but I have a hard time believing that our eyes and all these scouts, that guys like Tom Bogert are saying that we're all really high on a tanga, um, are just whiffed on this completely. Yeah, it, I mean, who like knows? System, what's going on. or he's like not happy, or I mean, whatever. Similar oh. enough situation, I guess, with Alan Cruz in 2019. Yes, on a bad team, but Cruz looked like a totally different player. Ball winner, nose for goal. Um, and then 2020, 2021, he was just a shell of his former self. He's he's just not not hitting those same highs. He's lost two steps, let alone half a step. Um, it's frustrating. And I mean, maybe this is a criticism of Albright. I'd certainly make it a criticism of FC Cincinnati in MLS. They've been really bad at moving players out of the team. 
even if they're taking a loss on these guys, there has just been a, a real lack of being able to sell an Alan Cruz abroad for half a million dollars. I mean, literally the last time we pulled a move like that was Bertone. It was exactly that. We broke even on Bertone to send him back to Switzerland and they found a suitor for him. And it's like, we should be able to do that with, if they're not going to fit in the team, Barial, Atanga, Cruz, like, that should be an option, and it's weird that it hasn't worked. And maybe Albright hasn't had a summer window with this yet. Maybe that happens in the next couple months. But. Or maybe it happens as, you know, we're we're doing a good job. We talked about it in the first segment of signing these high-floor, low-ceiling guys, and maybe it's just a matter of, okay, maybe we bring in one or two more guys like that before the window is up, and then that gives you at least the, the depth to feel comfortable eating a contract and taking a loss on a guy like an Atanga or a Barrial, whereas right now, maybe they could be doing that, but Albright's thinking to himself, I can sell this guy at a loss whenever, but if I don't have someone coming in the front door to replace him, then you're looking at a situation where we just don't have physically enough human beings in the first team to field a competitive right. team, to rotate. And with the FCC2 situation now, you've also got to consider that you want to get minutes for the kids, but there's also got to be people playing alongside the kids to at least make it a competitive match to give some experience on that. So I'm not as worried about that. Um, I just think that this team has for, for years now just been terrible at building depth yep. at a value. And the more that Albright builds depth at a value, it'll free him to move on from from stone assets that are sinking the finances on this team. Well, I mean, speaking of building depth, I mean, everybody in this fan base seems to be happy with Roman Celentano after this past week. He had a hell of a week. He made the bench for MLS Team of the Week. But <laughs> I'll just let me be the bad guy here. Or I'll Celentano. do it. If, if, you want to, if you want to be the face on this podcast, I'll be the heel because I've been saying it for a while that Talk Roman <laughs> Roman looks like a great pick. He looks like a great talent. Um, he looked composed. He made some great saves. I think the goals that got scored on him weren't his fault. I said it on Twitter. He has the kind of look and the kind of pedigree, and he's already getting the minutes that suggest to me that he'll probably get capped by the national team at some point, even if it's in you know, an otherwise who cares type of run of matches where the first teamers aren't going to be there. That's the kind of talent I think this guy has. But I, I, I keep thinking to myself, there's another guy that was drafted behind him that could have been answering some questions at center back that could have been playing and filling a massive need who I, I don't know is less talented overall than Roman Celentano. That's Kip Keller. Um. Yep. I, it was a luxury pick on a team that it, we're just talking about in the last segment. Doesn't have the luxury of depth or throwing away players at positions of need. So yeah, I, I love Roman, but man, I, I, I wonder if a couple different results would have been different this year if we'd have had a different player that would have been drafted in that super draft. 
Right, exactly. And I mean, look, I'm the guy who was making fun of people for having strong opinions about the draft, but I did I did decide to have one strong opinion, which was FC Cincinnati should sign Kip Keller or I would kill myself, I think was the tweet I had. And uh, it, it didn't happen. Sorry to disappoint everybody. I'm yet still you're here. you're still alive. <laughs> I just you know, heard I you how committed no I am. Fo- no one ha- has yes. no follow through is what I hate here. <laughs> These these hot takes are only surface level. Let's be real here. No, but during that time, I will say there was one voice in in the wilderness telling me that a generation Adidas goalkeeper is the smart choice in the face of a center back, and that was Grayson Chalmers. Grayson, with 2020 vision, hindsight, looking back, how do you assess that take? So I still feel pretty good about it. I mean, obviously, after the two games that Roman had um, – I'd be, I'd be silly to, to go back on it. But I, I, I have a couple of kind of specific points to make. Um, so first, as to Kip Keller, I do think that people in our fan base are overrating the season he, that he has had based on the fact that he started and played 60 minutes in by far FC Cincinnati's worst game of the season. Okay, okay fair. <laughs> he, play, he, has played, he has played in two games for Austin did not play more than like 60-ish minutes in either of those games. Against us, he had a decent FOT mob rating. The other game he played, he had a worse FOT mob rating. I didn't watch it. Look, I don't watch MLS, so <laughs> I can only look at these I can only look at these numbers, okay? No, that's that's you're better you that's the MLS analyst credo. I don't watch MLS, but so yeah. um Murphy's FOT mob ratings in a lot more minutes have been about as good as Kip Keller's mm. this season. Okay, so if Newton and Albright rated Murphy about as high as Keller, or even a little behind him, and they thought Celentano was a stud, then absolutely you go Celentano, Murphy, because historically, and I, I I went back. I only looked back about 2014 before I I got bored. But back to back to it's pretty far back. Yeah. Well, there's a there's a there's a Wikipedia article for Generation Adidas, so you can just look at the classic. <laughs> Only the finest stats and analysis on the postcast, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so you so you go back to 14 to 2014. You remove the guy who became an NFL kicker, and every uh, Generation Adidas goalkeeper. And I I'm excluding Roman and the other one who was drafted. Um, this past season, because it's, it's too early, early to tell. But every generation Adidas goalkeeper since 2014 has been, has ranged from, you know, quality, like just MLS starter quality to, you know, best keeper in the league, Andre Blake. Um, some other guys who were generation Adidas are Sean Johnson, Nick Ramondo. Brad Guzan, Tim Howard. I mean, they have been really, really good. I mean, they haven't they haven't hit on every one, but MLS has been really good at identifying good goalkeepers for the generation of Adidas classes. If you go back through who has been picked as a defender, it's very much a mixed bag. Okay, hmm. and there have been some really big hits like Miles Robinson, Walker Zimmerman, um, but. Ethan Barlow, the only defender in last year's class, did not play a game for Houston last year. Um, 
Jack Mayer has been a part-time starter at Nashville. Henry Kessler has been a very good player for New England. But Johnny Nelson, Dallas let him walk. Um, Joshua Yarrow, he's playing for St. Louis City 2 in MLS Next Pro. Connor Donovan is playing for USL Championship side Sacramento. Damian Lowe has bounced between USL and MLS. Uh, Eric Miller, career backup. Christian Dean is in NISA. AJ Cochran is playing for Indian, Indy 11. Those are all guys who have been Generation Adidas since 2014. They have, they just, so you have Henry Kessler was a hit. Uh, Joao Matinho as a left back was a hit. Miles Robinson, massive hit. You know, Jack Mayer, pretty good player. And the rest of them are just guys or, you know, to be determined. And like I said, Kip Keller is not starting every day for Austin. There's not a lot to to conclude that he's a better center back right now. And it's what we're talking about. We're talking about who can help FC Cincinnati right now. There's not a lot to go on that he's much better of a center back than Ian Murphy in MLS. And you do need two goalies in MLS. You just need to be too deep at goalie. And without Roman Celentano, we are not. Whoa. Vermeer is not dead last time I checked. <laughs> That's the most unfortunate thing we've reported so far. Oh, jeez. Talk about a heel turn. My goodness. The, the problem, though, is, is that positional value, just how much of positional value is there between a great goalkeeper and a good goalkeeper? And I, I just – I understand that, okay – if, if you're betting that Roman Celentano is going to be Brad Guzan level or Tim Howard level, okay, fine. Then the, the value in the pick is the sell-on down the road, maybe. Or if he's Sean Johnson or Nick Romando, another oh, but, generation Adidas guy. But if he's Sean Johnson or Nick Romando, like, what is the valuation difference between Sean Johnson and Nick Romando and um, Alec Ken? Where it's like, okay, like he's good, not great versus great and it's also a question too of what is the value in the draft right here is it that we needed to build for this year and make this year's team better And there's only so many different ways you can do it given the financial inflexibility this team was under and kip keller would have been someone who you could have signed out the uh, the draft slotted in as if not a starter a first off the bench center back he would have gotten a lot of minutes right now and Maybe if he's uh, maybe if he's there, the result of that DC United game is different. Or um, which other one do we have to start a reserve center back? And which one did Baji start in? That was uh, Atlanta. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the Atlanta game is di- maybe the result there is different. Um, they didn't let up any goals. I don't know what the what's the different result. I don't know. Um, but what I do know is Roman didn't. Or impre- maybe he can't Roman didn't. Imp- he's in MLS right yeah. now. Roman didn't impact that result. Um, Roman didn't impact, you know, this result. They lost this game too. Um, and we just talked about that they need to go sign a center back. Well, they had an opportunity to get a center back and they didn't. Well, they did. They got Ian Murphy and they would have, if they had gotten Kip Keller instead of Ian Murphy, they would still need to sign a center back. Or they could have had Kip Keller and Ian Murphy. Suppose you could have had Kip Keller and Ian Murphy. (laughs) I don't know if you want to roll with both of them. 
Oh, but isn't that Philadelphia starting two 17-year-old center backs and it, like, really working out and setting the league on fire? Or, like, what was that oh. game Seattle played last year where they, half the starting 11 was under 18? Like, none of these guys could yeah. vote, and they were still That's winning. she started that game, too. Yeah. Yeah. And they won, and they won handily, I believe, in that game too. So, to be fair, to be fair, my my take on this, I was fired up about this a couple weeks ago. I we're to the point now where Roman looks good, looks very good. Um, Yeah. And if they bought themselves a five to ten year starter at goalkeeper on a generation Adidas contract at the start, it's. No matter what happens this year, it's it'll be real hard to argue with that you can just pencil a guy like Roman in for a couple of years and not have to worry about it. After the goalkeeping disaster that has befallen <laughs> this club since joining MLS, fine. I'll, I'll, I'll eat it for a couple of weeks where I think Kip Keller would have been the better play short term if we don't have to think about who's in the fucking pipes going forward. But no, I think, I think overall this team... The cohesion for this team is through the roof. I don't think anybody expected, I didn't expect, the team to look this solid, this deep. Uh, the, the reserves coming in are are plug and play at this point. Um, the results need to come, but so far so good. Like This, this has been a well-constructed team. I just need to continue building it. And so. hey, it's Star Wars night next week. How can anyone have a bad time? This is just... Uh, is our battle station not fully operational? Is that what we're working with right now? <laughs> I'm I'm eager for the day we can start blowing planets up. That will make me so happy. <laughs> soon, soon, <laughs> and we'll get uh, we'll get Louisville in the Open Cup when we're doing it. 